And choose, do, you, do we want to, how do you want to do this? Should we just go? I think just. One for each? Yeah, I think so. Would you like to start or would you like to go second? Would you like number one or number two as you look at the list? Cool. I'll do number one. I like it. Okay. okay. Uh, so we do a countdown from five and then off we go. The Great Beckoner. The Protected Playground for Sacred Journey. A Gathering of Audacity. Shelter for edge walkers. Incubator of the next. Lover of laughter. A place to be free. Generous provider. Uniter of friends. Holder of difference. Mycelium of friendship, beauty, and brilliance. The mortar and pestle. <laughs> Welcome to Find the Outside the Podcast. I'm Tim Merry. I'm Tuesday Ryan Hart. And that was the 12 secret names of the outside. That's right. From our perspective, right? There are probably there are gonna be ten, 10 more sets of 12 secret names, but that's what we could come up with. And the names will continue to change as time passes. I think that's the wonderful thing. And so with this came from uh, 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 some some studying I've been doing essentially with a man called Martin Shaw that um, uh, Tuesday and Gibran ended up putting me in touch with and I think it's also kind of riding off the back of our uh, conversation with Cindy around power and articulation leadership but one of the things that Martin does uh, in, in, in my reading of his work is he invites you to go out into nature and like in and 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 whisper uh, the 12 secret names uh, to a tree or to a stream or to the sky or to a leaf or to an animal you might encounter. So the other day I'd been out in my garden whispering the 12 secret names to the apple tree in my garden. Um, and then Tuesday and I decided that as part of our retreat on Monday, we would go, we would kind of come back from the two hour little solo we have. We would come back and speak to what we have, what we have heard as the 12 secret names of the outside. And that was those 12 secret names. And we found it surprisingly difficult. When you think about 12 names, to come up with 12 names for something pulls something out of you. And, and, in, and in a funny ways, you get through the easy ones quickly. And then actually the kind of names start coming from what you're trying to describe rather than from you, if that makes mm -hmm, sense. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, choose. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I was like, oh, 12, first six, just roll off, right? Like, oh, that's, that's, we got that when you're looking at a piece of moth or moss or, you know, a tree. But then it becomes like, oh, you begin to just see in a different way. Hmm. And I felt like not only did I begin to, to look more clearly and closely and differently, but I felt almost like the essence of, I was looking at a piece of moss, like the essence of that moss, like kind of rose to, to meet, right? What I was trying to see. And so it felt, it actually, actually felt quite reciprocal. It was really beautiful in like five mm. minutes walking down a sidewalk. Um, so we came back and we decided, well, what are the 12 secret names for the outside? Let's name them. And it was, surprisingly hard for this organization that we know very well that we've yeah. created 
And yet, like, what is the essence that's like rising to meet us as we give words? I thought it was fantastic. I loved it. It took some real sinking in, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like there were as we began to like craft the words, it took us like actually getting silent and like. I mean, both of us at different times, like looked out the window or closed our eyes and like really tried to let the words come. And we weren't doing it. We didn't like, give each other that instruction, but it was like instinctively what we did. When I was out on the solo, I was uh, there's this beautiful stream that is just in full flow right now going through my home bay. I mean, it's called the Maggie Maggie. And uh, and it is just gorgeous. Like it is a sinewy serpent, like th- mm-hmm. flowing through the forest. I mean, it's beautiful. And uh, right next to it was this tree, and it was like, and it was an old, old old pine tree that had fallen, and it was like halfway down, like it had never quite reached the earth, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was doing the thing, I was doing the I was doing the twelve secret names with this tree because I was just standing there, and uh, and um and I just one of them still stays with me, which is like, uh, and one of the names was like slowly falling, mm. you know, <laughs> like it wasn't like it was stuck there. It's just like slowly falling tree and I, right. and so there's so, and so there's something about that like sinking into the nature of things and finding the words that speak not just to what you're seeing on the surface don't do you know what i mean it's not mm-hmm. it's like how do we begin to find the language that doesn't just speak to the strategy but speaks to the soul of the of the moment or the work, you know? And I think it really connects to what Cindy was beginning to talk about in terms of like the power of words. Like, you know, she brought this idea in kind of episode one of the podcast, wasn't it? The season three of articulation leadership, you know? Mm -hmm. And then another one of these things I've picked up from kind of like working with Martin Shaw that just like struck so true to me. He was talking about like the power of words that sometimes, you know, you can start feeling what he called winged words, this Mm. sense that somehow words take flight, you know? And in the old stories, these are the words that like the fairies listen to, you know? Mm. Like there's something about like the power of the words that uh, begins to bring things into manifestation, Mm -hmm. you know? That begins to bring things into life. And, um, And when you speak like that, you have to be very careful what you say because powers beyond you are listening, right? Wow. And and so there's something about that. And I've I felt this my whole life that I've had to be careful what I say, that I have to be careful what I name. I have to be careful what I put my commitment and my heart behind mm-hmm. because often it manifests for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And so this sense of like winged words, of like finding the words that aren't just of me, but are of the moment, are of the thing, are of the essence, you know, and allowing that to speak through you or to be part of you as it's spoken. Um, there's something about that that I think gets to this articulation leadership, right, that begins to say, well, what are the words that are wanting to be discovered right now, you know, that, that speak to the spirit of this time and the work that needs to be done? And boy, does that begin to reframe. I just love so much of what you said there. And I'm just thinking with our articulation leadership, like boy, does that begin to reframe our use of evocative language, right? Mm. It doesn't become just different for different sake. Jargon isn't 
jargon, if, if they're winged words, they're actually moving us someplace and they're needed. You know, we don't, we don't typically work with people who are satisfied with how it is and want to do that better, right? We typically work with people who are looking for something new and there has to be a spirit or a depth in that. And so, boy, you just kind of reframed our own use of language and also you know, because we get a lot of we get a lot of like oh you've got a you've got a accessibility right which is also true right so we do want people to understand what we're saying we want people to be able to see themselves in the words we're using and it occurs to me if we're truly using and I don't if we're truly using like winged words people rise to that they might not even always understand it but they'll rise to that it doesn't feel so it feels different. And, uh, and yet, hmm. yeah, there's something magnetizing, attractive, pulling when you use those words. And I love that you said, you know, the words that the fairies can hear, because I was thinking about, yeah, fairies, guides, different realms, right? Like we're speaking into a different realm. And I actually, Tim, when Cindy talked about articulation leadership, I mean, I think it was quite practical yeah. and um when 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 we now i'm just kind of trying to kind of bring these things together when we now talk about speaking into different realms that feels like that's the heart of our work we are actually trying to create what a society that serves all we do not have that in this realm right we're actually trying to speak into being something um yeah yeah i mean like so like we might use the words like generative mm-hmm. We want to. See, we would like. We would like a generative conversation, mm-hmm. right? And what that means is it gives birth to something we didn't know walking in the door, mm-hmm. right? It gives birth to something that none of us could have seen on our own, right? Like it's it it. Uh, there is something in the con- connectivity between the people the serendipity of the moment, the circumstance they're working in, the place that it is all taking place, that it is all happening, that gives birth to a different possible future, mm-hmm. right? And if that isn't magic, I don't know what is, <laughs> right. right? I mean, like truly, like if that yeah. isn't like, like, oh, oh, like how we turn up in relationship to each other can actually give birth to the type of future we're choosing to walk into. That we're calling in, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and the language we use actually calls things in, calls in different futures and opportunities. And, and, um, and I, I, I mean, I was saying to you, I think it was just today I was saying to you how much when people come to me recently, I've been, you know, they present like a highly complicated spreadsheet to me. And I'm like, yeah, if you could tell that as a story, like I would get it straight away, <laughs> you know. But like when it's like <laughs> columns and rows, it's very, very hard for my brain to digest, you know. Yeah. But like, and so there's something about that, I think. There's something about like, what is the narrative we're building right now? Like, like what, and, and what, are the, what are the narratives we're building off? Like, what are the stories well, that have survived? 1500 years that are still part of like what is the mythic nature of what we're creating that can actually carry us into the future and and uh, 
I'm, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, yeah, go on, you're leaning in. So oh, I just love, I, uh, I love that because it is absolutely what are the futures we're calling in that we're living into that, that again, I'm just really, I'm just really enamored right now of this idea of like what I'm seeking is seeking me, like the future we're seeking is seeking us. And um, so I love that idea. And then right at the end there, you kind of brought in, because I actually think that part of what's happening is we are what we know, right? We are the result of the winged words of our ancestors. Yes. And so it's not as if we start here and craft a narrative forward. Uh, We always have that opportunity, always have that opportunity to. And I think that's part of what's happening now is like we're breaking some of the narrative we've been handled, handed and, and trying to move into a different kind of future. So I think that that's true. There are these moments of disruption and moving forward. And there's also this this past, these winged words that have got us here, right? These stories that tell us something that is true, uh, Mm. that is timeless, that is um, uh, something we sense and can know and can build from um, without kind of knowing the particulars. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like every story doesn't have to be like, fact-based, right? But it's a story that carries us forward. It's a story, an arc that we are part of, that we are also part of creating, so. And I I would say, actually, that the bias towards the facts removes the soul. Mm -hmm. It actually removes the ancestral lineage, Mm -hmm. right? So if you look at a story, we were, if you look at a story like Robin Hood, Right, very like Kevin Costner. Here we go. But like, <laughs> right, and then yeah. you go back to like the 1950s, the Men in Tights. It was actually a popular TV TV show that was made by Americans in England. And they were sending a message back to the U.S. around McCarthyism. Oh my gosh! Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Very. Like, how did the how's the myth been leveraged over all of these years? You know, and uh, and then you know, and, and and it goes back. You know, it goes back to I think around the 1500s, where suddenly Robin became uh, a member of the nobility, mm. right, and loyal to the crown, right. That hadn't existed before that. And then it goes back to around the kind of 1300s where he was just a yeoman. He was a freeman, you know, Mm. and quite a brutal one, to be honest, you Mm. know. And so you've got this myth that goes back, you know, and so the the first recorded references to Robin Hood go back to about 1300, right? And and then those are references that uh, you can tell by the way that they're written, pulled directly from an oral tradition, mm. right? For it to have survived and be that important must have gone back another couple of hundred years. So you've got a story that has lasted 1,300 years, wow. you know, an incredibly, and a story that has in its, in its essence carries a sense of standing up to an abuse of authority. Mm. standing up to an abuse of power as its essence, mm-hmm. right? But has morphed, like it has morphed over multiple generations to fit the circumstances of its time, you know? Mm-hmm. From these like, you know, this kind of like free yeoman who was kind of like kick-ass, you know, through to uh, the uh, the kind of 
Robin who stood up to King John, you know, while the good King Richard who was on the Crusades, bless him, not exactly that good when you look at it in a modern perspective. Sure. But there we go. You know, through to like the men in tights and Robin Hood, Robin Hood riding through the Glen, you know. And like, you know, all the way up to when I was a kid where there was a TV show about Robin Hood that was super mythic that was kind of inspired by the stories of Alan Garner and had these like creatures that were kind of related to him that were like Celtic gods with horns. And and so um, it's amazing how, I mean, truly, truly these ancient stories, if we're looking for a place to seek the advice of our ancestors, right? it is hidden in these stories that have lasted so long. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if we're looking to seek the advice of our ancestors, it's in these mythic stories. And so to go like these, these stories haven't survived because they stuck to the facts. Right. 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 They, they haven't survived because they're factually accurate. Uh-huh. They survive because they're touching something mythic. They're touching something primordial in mm-hmm. the existence of being human. And I feel like if we're seeking to create fundamental change, we also have to be audacious enough to go at that level. And that is not to ignore the pragmatic, pragmatic, practical nature of our work, which I think we have a very strong emphasis on, you know, but like we also have to be tapping into this primordial level of the work, mythic. Uh, That's so right, because the issues we're facing right now are epic and mythic in proportion. You know, yes. they just are, right? Yes. So uh, I was actually yes. listening to a podcast recently that was like, the advice was like, go read a creation story. Don't care yeah. what tradition, go read a creation myth and like use mm. that as your blueprint for building this new world because that's mm. actually what we're in. We are looking at, oh, um, do you know what I mean? Like that's just like, that's that. what we need to build our work on because what we are up against, right? Um, I mean, we could just list them all, but I just would say like right now, the scourge of anti-black racism, right? Like for me, this is like one of the ultimate issues that we, I think we are very lucky to get to face head on, right? Like in a way that no one has had had the capacity to, I mean, obviously there's been lots and lots of work, right? There's certainly, I mean, lots of lots of work, but like that anti-black racism that was continued in slavery, moved through this particular North American context, although you could talk to us about the impact in Europe, like we get to take, that is something we get to take on in this time. And if we think somehow we're gonna one, two, three, four strategy our way to it, we're just, we just like, it's, it's too big, it's epic, it's really a call I'm sure you could maybe talk about this more than I even could, but it's a call to take on our leadership and and meet this particular moment. So it's imminently practical in our world today to be looking at myth and learning from it and maybe making our blueprints on myth and not spreadsheets. Isn't that amazing to think about that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, to really begin to start... And I've been just thinking about, like, oh, how do we bring story in, you know? How do we bring story? How do we bring story into our work? And not like, but like, how, like, what are some of the myths we could be telling or referencing as we think about our work to kind of evoke something out of the people we're working with, mm-hmm. you know? What are the points of reference that we have or the choices that people are making, you know? 
there's a great myth I've been listening to recently, um, the the Lindworm, and hmm. uh, and it's basically a I mean it's it's a fantastic myth, but it but it talks about um, a king and a queen who are ruling a country, um, and it's all going lovely, but they're barren, mm. you know, and 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 it's interesting because they're good they're good people, they're not bad people, mm-hmm. like it's not, but it's actually they've become stale through their goodness. There's not enough unruliness in there. There is not enough wildness in there. Like in the myths, like, you know, there's too much castle and not enough dark forest. Mm-hmm. You know, and and um, and uh, and so the woman, she goes, you know, the, the queen goes out into the forest and meets this old crone and she gives her instructions. And uh, she, you know, she kind of has to whisper into this cup and turn it over on the soil. And then her wishes kind of seep into the ground. And then these two flowers grow, the white and the, and the, uh, and the red. And the crone was very clear. She's like, on the one hand, she was like, trust your unruly wild nature, mm. but don't eat the red. Don't oh. eat the red, you know. And in that moment, the queen, she comes out and these two, these these two flowers have come up overnight. She goes down and the, it's great, the languages, and she just gobbles up the red. She just can't help herself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she like gobbles it up, you know, and then she eats the white. And, uh, but it, it was like, because the chrome was really clever, right? The chrome was like, be unruly. Don't eat the red. Yeah. But what she's telling her is eat the red. Break yeah. the rule. Mm-hmm. Break the rule. That's what's needed. What's needed for you to conceive, to give birth in this moment, right, is to do exactly that. And and so there's something kind of amazing in these stories, I think, that can speak to the the crossroads of decisions that we're in as people right now. Mm-hmm. The, the the moments of choice we're having to make. Like, what does it take to give what's the level of risk actually that we need to take? to give birth to something new here. You know, what is the unruliness that we have to fight in that is so much part of all of our mythic histories, no matter what cultures we come from? Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I yeah, I, I think there's a lot that we can, we can bring in without it being heavy handed, without it being distancing, without it right. being like some like ringing of bells and burning of incense that freaks people out in so many of the environments we're in. I think we can be referring to myths and stories um, to like deepen the quest that people are on in what, even within their organizations and mm-hmm. their personal journeys. And do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I feel really excited to to experiment with this because often mm. what our what our language does what our own attempt at winged words does is to like move people out of their perspective just enough that they create something different and so as you're talking I'm like oh is there a way for us to use story to move people out of their habitual ways just enough right what would we learn here what is ours to take on? What is mythic about what we're about? Because I'm just thinking about the different places we, we're working. What is mythic about what we're trying to do with a large humanitarian organization? Oh my right. goodness, right? right? There is pest, there is plague, there is war. There, you know what I mean? Like they are facing these mythic obstacles 
without enough that looks doomed, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so then how do we begin to meet um, these particular challenges that are, um, you know, that are mythic in proportion or epic. They perhaps, are. Right? Yeah, and so, I like, love that word, epic. What would that bring in if we could just begin to locate ourselves as um, people people in a story, which obviously has real world, real world implications right now, but just like just enough, enough to move us, enough to move us into thinking a little bit differently, a little bit more audaciously, a little bit more because, it, you know, you talked about bringing in the wild and I love that word. Uh, it, and I think of any myths I know, like things weren't fair or right or clean or neat right? Like yeah. hard choices yeah. had to be made. Unfair yeah. people die. There's just like, yeah. there's no, yeah. there's no fairness. It's just wild, right? Yeah. It's just what it is. And, um, and so that feels like what we're living in. If we just kind of turn that eye and that perspective on it. Yeah. And, um, uh, interestingly, the more I begin to kind of, uh, kind of dig into myths and, uh, um, uh, uh, it, it, the more that the 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 uh, the ways forward come from the margins, mm. right? They come from the kind of like um, mm. uh, li the liminal spaces. They come mm -hmm. from the kind of like edges of what you might see. It's do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's not it's 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 not the uh, it's there's never an obvious answer in a myth, right? Right. It, like it comes from somewhere surprising. There's a twist. There's a character. There's a moment that kind of like brings it in from the edges. So so this ability to hold a, like the teaching there is this ability to hold a broad view, you know, to like soften your eyes enough in the face of these epic challenges so we can see what's coming in from the margins. And so much of our lives now is a foot from our face. Right. The screen. The screen yeah. is a foot. For, so much of our view is a foot from our face, right? Mm -hmm. That's a very recent in terms of human experience. So there's something about like putting down that foot view and like stepping back and like opening up again. And, and I think that's what I get when I engage with the natural world. I get that ability. Mm. It's like my whole view opens up. And suddenly, the things that are liminal, that are coming in from the margins, that are bubbling up, that I may have felt, but my brain haven't given time to experience because I'm cramming it full of all the shit that's one foot in front of me, right? And that also is something that the myths are teaching us, like that ability to welcome in the things that come from the margins, the perspectives, the peoples, the dreaming, the dreaming, right? And the, you know, that's the dreaming that comes in, the wisdom that comes in from the margins. You just mentioned mm. the crone, right? Or the young person. It's like, um, I think when we widen our view, we can actually consider the dissonant voice Right, which often brings wisdom, right? Because if, if we're right here, if we're right on our screen, well, especially with how things are curated right now, we don't even ever have to hear a dissonant voice, right? We right. never have to get to a point of desperation and be like, well, I'll listen to that person because I have, I'm out of ideas. Um, yeah. So it's like the dissonant voice. And I think part of, as you said that, I think part of what we're challenged by now, if I think about really contemporary, it's like, 
listen to the margins, hear the dissonance, broaden the lens, and then move forward together. Because part of what's happened, you know, we were talking to someone last week that they feel like they've done it or a couple weeks ago where they feel like they've done a really good job listening to communities and what they want. But it was still extractive. It was still tell us what right. you want. We'll take it into ourselves and then we'll move forward rather mm. than any kind of like moving forward together. And so it's like this piece around how do we broaden our perspective, listen to the wisdom of the dissonant voice and then move forward together. Like what happened to the crone mm. when that queen bore a baby? You know what I mean? Like, what is that? Like, what does that mean? Like, how do we actually I think that that in some ways can be task or challenge of this time is like to, to move forward together. Yeah. And I, and I love that. And it's like, where do we practice that? You know? Mm -hmm. And like, again, something else you and I have been chatting about recently is like, well, if I practice that in my relationship to nature, like what's one of the things that's beginning to shift from me as I go out for walks with my dog, Neil, or I go out on my own, um, is that, is that I think for many, many years, I've treated nature as a backdrop to my own journey mm -hmm. a beautiful backdrop mm -hmm. that encourages me to be on my own creates the conditions for my own advancement and growth mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and like uh, uh, and and i think i'm beginning to understand that that's not actually the relationship i want with mm -hmm. nature or with the world around me mm -hmm. in general mm -hmm. you know that actually i'm going in and and by discovering the 12 names of all the different sec 12 secret names of all the different things around me, I'm beginning to start becoming part of mm -hmm. what's around me. I'm beginning to travel with, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and it's so different from like going out and having a lovely backdrop from my own personal experience yes. to, being, to, being, <laughs> yeah. to being in it with nature and learning with, or being in this organization and learning. This organization isn't just a backdrop mm -hmm. for me to grow myself mm -hmm. right? the circumstances we are in are not backdrops right mm -hmm. they they are somehow part of us and we are part of them and it's like how does that and so i'm just realizing that i'm really learning that in my relationship in terms of how i think about nature and these 12 the other day that the river you know the river i yesterday the river i walked out and i had I came up with all kinds of names for the river you know and then i walked across it today and kind of like chuckled to myself and like threw one of the names as it as i walked over you know you know like i forgot it was like it was like um rambunctious rambling rapids or something you know <laughs> and and i just kind of like threw it at the river as i walked by you know and chuckled to myself as i walked on to work you know but there's suddenly a different relationship i'm suddenly in it with that river you know and yeah i think that's so great and it, it's funny because um I'd been having a bit of a parallel experience, but wasn't able to articulate that until we were talking about it yesterday. Um, obviously, obviously I adore being outside. I run a couple times a week. I'd love to be mm. outside. And I could very much tell you the way that I receive benefit from being out there, seeing things, seeing animals, seeing the trees, seeing the change of seasons has always been really moving to me. So I could say, wow, I could name you how I could receive. And it's actually just been really quite recently. I feel a little embarrassed where I thought about how I could offer, right? 
like happy to receive, but how then do I offer? So that reciprocal thing that you were talking about, I feel like I've just started to learn. And um, one of the, just to um, say, and just as a small example, um, you know that I have a very intense fear of snakes. And um, I, <laughs> it's just very, it's like one of those things, like people have their things. It is. Minus snakes. Um, it's real. It's very, very real. It's very real. And um, uh, because, you know, what, what you need to have happen happens. Uh, I've probably seen between seven and nine snakes in the last month, which is unheard of where I run, but they keep coming. Uh, and so at first, right, I had a bit of like in, indignation. How could the snake be here in my place, this place where I received right. so much, right? And now here's a snake right. messing it up um, to kind of like watching my own. And of course, I've done, you know, I've actively tried to work on this uh, to the last time I saw a snake. I was like, wow, wow, um, here you are. Here's what you're offering to me, right, forest animal here's what you're offering to me what can i offer back and i just said like a little prayer of well wishing for that snake hmm. still frightened still you know what i mean like a far less than i was but like oh this is being offered to me somehow i receive a lot here what can i offer back i'm like well what i can offer back is like well wishes for a happy life for you little serpent um and so <laughs> do you know what i mean like, i love you Tuesday. <laughs> so that is just the I just, I, that is, what a, what a lucky serpent. Well, I hope so. I just feel like, you know, I said to you at one point on the path, I always like send love through my feet. I just like, there's something for me where like, I want to, I want to be part of, I want to like, I want to give to as well as receive. And like, and I'm, and I'm that part, I'm just baby steps learning about what it will mm. be like for me to give to. Mm. Uh, but the naming is a, is a, it felt generous yesterday when I like stopped mm. on that sidewalk and talked to the moss. Mm. It's, it's, it's awesome to me because if we can accept these are epic and mythic times, mm -hmm. right, then the way that we're talking right now every day becomes an opportunity to be the epic and mythic leader that could rise to it. Mm. From how mm. I greet the snake to how I cross the river. So the story I tell, yeah. so the conversation I host, mm -hmm. that actually if I can be doing those things, not just from the strategic, but also from the soulful, mm -hmm. if I can, there's something in that, you know, if I can do that in a way that not only is pragmatic to the circumstance, but uh, unruly, has the wildness and unruliness of nature in it too. There's something in it. There's something in this, like what we're talking about that can actually be kind of a fun way to grow ourselves mm -hmm. in response to the epicness, the mythicness, the grandness of what we're seeing happening around us on the news every day. It suddenly mm -hmm. brings it back into our story it brings it back into our lineage it brings it back into our ancestry it brings it back into um the realm of possibility again mm -hmm. and, and that's quite exciting i think yeah 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 it's kind of it's an interesting 
an, an antidote to yeah. I can't do anything or the problems are too big. Yeah. Right. Like we're yeah. in, we're in. Oh, yeah. The problems are too big. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what makes it epic. Let's do this. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. you're right. It is too big. It, it makes us um, move out of our smallness, not into arrogance, but into like deep connection with yeah. other realms, with a line like that has started before us and will continue on after us. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I, so listeners, we encourage you to go out whenever you're taking a walk, whether you're in your garden, whether there's something in your house that is special to you. Mm-hmm. We just encourage you after this podcast to go out and whisper to whatever it is, whatever it is, it's 12 secret names. Yeah. And allow, allow whatever that item is to tell you what they are. That's right. Go, go and, yeah, yeah, enjoy it. It's really fun. Nice. Well, interestingly, I had picked a song called One River before I Mm. knew you were going to talk more about it. Really? Uh-huh. That's cool. And um, it is, uh, it's called One River by Benji Wertheimer and John DeCott. I think is how you Mm -hmm. would say their names. And... um, I had picked it because I knew we were going to talk about winged words. I knew we would talk about nature and this particular song. And here I do feel like we have to give a little another. I know you've said it twice, but a little hat tip to Gibran Rivera, right? Like, so he gave me this song. He turned you on to Martin Shaw. He's been talking to me about mythic stories for a couple months now. So it's just like he's definitely present here. But this particular song um, is uh, playful and light and it's like a river winding and meandering and and hitting up against rocks and flowing and it's just a very beautiful when i when i hear it on my run i begin to look well i would just say when i hear it on my run i begin to look for god i begin to look for like the light on the leaves and i begin to look for squirrels peeking out and I begin to see the sun on the water a little differently and leaves falling a little bit differently. It has kind of a light awe, look at what this world is doing kind of vibe. And um, all the things you said about the river at the beginning of this podcast, I feel like could be captured in this song. It's just a beautiful instrumental um, little song. So I'm thrilled I picked it because it feels really appropriate to what we talked about today. something quite amazing about flowing like the flow of water isn't there you know like how yeah I remember one of my earliest uh therapists when I was in living in the Netherlands would tell me to go stand over streams mm-hmm. like on bridges and just like let things go into it ah oh, yeah she'd just yeah. be like go stand on a stream and like just let your remote let emotions go into it let it carry it away you know mm-hmm. and so I think that's kind of amazing yeah and then how quick streams can flow, 
but how clear they can remain. I mean, they, you get gets all turgid in rapids, but they can flow incredibly quickly, but stay completely clear. That's one of the things yeah. I was noticing in the stream the other day that was blowing me away. It's so beautiful. It's kind of amazing, right? Like, I mean, it just, I, we could talk about water forever, but I've been, um, I've been thinking about water in terms of even internally to begin to move things. Obviously that's, it's, you know, it's focused, but like externally, there's a lot of like, how could the, how could the water take away? And just like exactly what your therapist said, like give it to the water. It's like the water will always take it. And I think part of what you and I are saying now is then, so you not only give that to the water, but maybe give the water a little name, a little love, a little something, right? So that it becomes a back and forth, obviously. Obviously for a long time, we've been able to take from nature in that way. And part of what's happening, I think, is we're realizing that it's also time to give back, right? Mm. We brought ourselves to, not obviously our emotions aren't causing climate change, right? But you know what I mean? But like this idea that we can just take, take, yeah. take. And what if we gave back anyway? Mm. Love it, give back to the water as well, which you did so, say. Yeah, yeah. The rapid, rumbling, rumbunctious rapids, whatever it was. I love it. <laughs> Alliteration. Do you know the sure. original original British poetry was alliterative, so it didn't it, it didn't rhyme. It was all about the alliterative play of words. The kind of original kind of like Saxon poetry, and uh, so the the you know poets were known for their ability to alliterate in the oral tradition because it wasn't about rhyming. That's a lot more about how you read. Yeah. But in the oral tradition, it was the alliteration between the words that was a kind of like the key to the kind of ancient older ancient old poets in England. Look at you just like I just want to say to the listeners like you've been doing this a lot recently you're just like living out your heritage. Alliteration has yeah. been like your thing. I know eh? it's been fun. Uh-huh I like it. <laughs> I like it we're just landing it where it you know kind of originates. Hey look there's a particular piece I want to read today mm. um, and it's uh, um, it's from uh, a Robin Hood book that I had when I was a kid and uh, my parents gave it to me. It's got the most incredible drawings in it. And, uh, but there's a particular piece where Robin has, uh, he's escaped um, uh, Harcroft where he's been kind of like wrong, really, wrongfully captured. Him and his dog uh, have been wrongfully captured by some of the kind of po the guys who catch the poachers there. Um, and him and his dog have escaped right at the moment of trial. Him and his dogs have escaped and they've run away and they've hidden in the, in the, uh, in the kind of beautiful crypt of this chapel that never actually got fully built, but the crypt got built and he hid there and he meets Much, um, who is this kind of like hunchbacked guy. And they've now made their way south into the forest um, after Robbins collected his bow and his sword and said goodbye to Marion and her brother, who he was originally kind of living with. And then he's gone back into the south and for the first time he's met the, uh, he's met the, the men in the forest and, uh, and, uh, kind of he turns up and he end, they end up he ends up challenging them to this archery competition which he only just he, he wins and they're all like oh my goodness and Will Scarlet who's in charge of them you know says uh, you know would you consider becoming our leader and uh, they're all like oh yeah we you know because they'd never met an archer of such prowess you know and it was the last thing his father had given him was a was a bow and his father because his father was killed in the wars with scotland in the scottish wars because the border at that time wasn't clearly defined so the scots were coming south and and um uh 
And so his father had said, you know, you have to know how to protect yourself and your family and your homestead and your farm. You must practice with the bow, you know. And so mm. and his father had given him this yew bow, um, which is one of the sacred trees of England, the, the mm. English yew. And, um, and you'll find it in all of our graveyards, actually, because the yews were there before the churches. The yews were there before the churches. People used to worship at the yew trees wow. before the churches. Uh, but, and so they built the churches where people worshipped anyway. Um, uh, and so, uh, and so he gets there, and, and he they invite him to uh, to become their leader. And uh, and before he says yes, he kind of sets down a whole bunch of principles, and he says, mm. "If you can live by these principles, then I would willingly become your leader." You know, and that's the little excerpt that I want to read. It's okay. very short, and I've given a bit of the story leading up, but I don't have it on me right now. It's at home. So what I'm going to do is okay. I'm going to. But it's the piece, because I was looking at poems and stuff like that. But this one's actually, this is what nice. I would like to read as part of this ah, podcast. So I, I'll, I'll go home and I'll record it separately. So the quality might sound different. I apologize, listeners. But it is the right piece for this podcast. So great. I'm going to go home. I'm going to record it. Um, and I'll send that to Mark as a separate piece. And he can fold it in here. Um, uh, but yeah, that's the piece I want to read. And Love so it. you'll get it. It'll, you won't even... So if the quality changes slightly, I apologize, but it's the right piece to read. And, Great. Um, yeah. All right. So this, this little Robin Hood reading, this Robin Hood reading is he's, he's come into the forest of Sherwood and he's met the outlaws and they've ended up challenging him to a archery contest and, uh, um, and he's done really well in it. And they're all like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Would you become our leader, et cetera, et cetera. And they all start telling him and they start telling him their stories you know about how they've been outlawed for things like stealing bread or bringing down a stag to feel their feed their family or is that one of their cottage roofs fell in and they cut down a birch tree to mend it but the lord was punished him for cutting down the birch tree and all of these so they've come through and told their stories when robin had heard their stories he and much told theirs then as the fire burned low robin gathered the men around him and gave them his ideas of how they would have to change their way of life if he was to become their leader. We must have rules to live by, and we must keep them. We must know who we fight and why. We must be an army, not a ragged mob, and we must cling together. We must never rob the poor and needy, only the rich, and then only those who have too much and who got their wealth unfairly. Many rich folk are generous and noble. We must never harm the aged or women or children, and we must ever be mindful that we live under the hand of God. It is the law that sins, not us. We only seek to change it. This is the Greenwood Oath, and all must swear it. He spoke very simply, using no big words or fine phrases, and they listened, and they warmed to him, this was the kind of leader they had been waiting for. And as they warmed to him, even more as he continued, We need not kill the travellers we rob. I have a better plan. Capture the rich and bring them home to dine and make them welcome. Then find what gold they carry and make them pay for what they have received. If in their saddlebags we find 200 pounds, take half and send them on their way, saying, It is more blessed to give than to receive. The price we charge for food and drink is high. But what better table have you ever found and what better tale to tell your children? And so I, I think if I remember rightly in the pod, I chose that because he's kind of before he agrees to step into leadership, he sets the kind of principles through which 
they could choose to become his followers, you know, or they could choose to, in many ways, be together. Yeah. Love it. That was so good. And you're such a good reader. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Stumbled over some words, but it's nice. It's just amazing to think that that story goes back to probably around 900. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible to think. All right, so that's our bridge. You have been listening to Find Me Outside the Podcast. Thank you. We are here every other Tuesday with new episodes of the podcast. If you'd like to find us, you just, um, you'd like to send us an email, right? You just do podcast at findtheoutside.com. You can send us anything. If you'd like to get the music from today or anytime we have played music, it is on Spotify. Just search Find the Outside or right on our website, findtheoutside.com slash playlist. That's right. From the from the practical to the mythical, from the uh, uh, spiritual to the lyrical to the satirical, you can find it all here <laughs> on Find the Outside, the podcast. And uh, I'd just like to say thank you to Mark, who Mark Coffin from Sound Good Studio, who continues to produce the work and is pushing us now in his third season mm-hmm. to kind of uh, up our up our game to the next level. So it's wonderful. And of course, a nod to Gary Blakemore, who's been uh, working our themed music every year and. Uh, keeping that ticking over so that's right and thank you thank you friends for listening yeah take good care folks bye-bye bye-bye